Now, normally I, I teach through the Bible verse by verse. I just grab a book and we just we go through it. Uh, and I'm going to continue to do that later this summer. However, I'm, I'm really convinced that uh, we should take some time in between books to study what the scriptures say regarding the church. It's been on my heart. And I think it's critical that we all have really a, a unified understanding of what God says regarding his church. And we'll see how important that is as, as it develops. And so for four Sundays or so, I'm going to put a little maybe more on there, knowing me. <clears throat> four Sundays worth of messages, more if necessary. We're going to go, we're going to focus on the subject of the church. And specifically, what is the church? Uh, what are the relationships within the church? In other words, how does it function and what's its purpose? I know that sounds kind of mechanical. That's kind of how I think, though. Um, but we'll flesh it out and we'll see. I think uh, it'll be a blessing. And really my heart is that you and I would come out the other side with a greater clarity and we'd have more unity and focus so that we can be and do all that the Lord has called us to together. Uh, but if I could sum it up, I really am praying that, that we would grow in our love for Jesus Christ and the church that he died for. I think many of us, we love Jesus, but like Gandhi, we have issues with the church. I don't know if you know that. Little, never mind. <laughs> and so today we're going to focus on what the church is and seven marks really that define it. And I'm going to say maybe we'll get to the seven marks that define it. But how many of you have a really a working definition of the church? How many of you have a working definition of the church? If I, if I were to ask you or someone were to come up to ask you, what is the church? How would you define it? What would you say? Someone say something. Body of Christ. What else? Each member of the church, body of Christ, each member. Unity, what else? It's not a building. Okay, I don't need to teach on that this morning. <clears throat> totally. The word church in the Greek, I don't know if you know, but that the word actually comes from the Bible. And the word in the Greek is ecclesia, and, and that means the called out ones. The called out ones. That's what the word church means or gathering, the called out ones. And in a practical sense, it speaks of those people who were called out of their homes in some capacity to meet together. That's, that's what it practically means. That's what the word means. Ecclesia is a gathering. You get people out of one place and you bring them into another place and they get together. That's what, that's what the word means. And because after a while, Christianity became legalized and in the Roman Empire and you get all this stuff, and there wasn't persecution anymore. People no longer had to meet in the secrecy of their homes. Um, they, they began to meet in public places and obviously these buildings they met in were often somehow changed into the word church. You're meeting at the church because that's where the people met was at the church. And somehow church got transferred from the people of God to the place where the people of God meet. Uh, do we call people who go to Walmart, Walmartians? I mean, I don't know how to describe it or whatever we call them. This is the people of Walmart. I know this, but but the church is not at all the building, you know? It's not this building or any other building that is made by the hands of men. It is those who have been called out by God to himself. Those who have been called out 
by God to himself. And so the word church literally means called out ones. And in its truest sense, the church is made up of those from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who have been called out of the world by God to himself as they have believed upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the church. It is a people that God has called to himself by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The church is the people who have been bought from the slavery of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ into his kingdom, which is the church on earth. The kingdom of God manifested as the church on earth. And so the church is not a physical building. It's a people who have repented of their sins. We've believed upon Jesus' death in our place and in his resurrection for eternal life. And we are baptized, that public symbol that acknowledges that we are no longer a part of this world. We are part of his kingdom. And we take communion together, symbolizing that we're, we've been bought out of that world. We've been brought out and we're unified to him, not to this world anymore. We're his. Those are the things that identify the true body of believers called the church Repentance for, from sin, faith in Christ and his death, his resurrection. And so just because you go to church and you meet together with a group of people who call themselves a church, that does not mean that you or they are a part of the true church. And that is important to distinguish. And that's a real danger. In many churches today, they can be filled with people who go to church. They can open and read the Bible together or some kind of book. <laughs> they can pray. They can enjoy the messages. They can love the music. They can do tons of good things together with that group of people, but have never repented and never believed in Jesus as Lord. That is scary. And if I were the enemy, that would be my tactic. You want God? I'll give you everything but the gospel. I'll put you in a situation where you have all the feelings and all the emotion or whatever it might be. But never, ever be presented that you must repent and you must believe in Jesus Christ. The narrow path. But through that narrow path leads to the broadest, widest pasture, everlasting life in Jesus Christ. And unless that narrow way is preached, through the foolishness of preaching, by the way, the gospel of, you know, the gospel of repentance and faith in Christ, and unless the Holy Spirit quickens that in someone's heart, they're doomed, all the while thinking that they're going to a great church. Isn't that scary? And so I want to make sure that you know, as a pastor, that there are people all over the world who go to church or gather, but the Lord knows who are His. I don't. I am not God. God might give me some discernment on things, and I can tell, I can judge fruits, as you can judge fruits as well, and these types of things, but ultimately, He is the one who truly knows where someone's soul and their state is. 
The Lord knows who is his and those who have repented and believed upon his son Jesus, the only way. And so just so you know, the Lord says that this would happen. Now, I'm, I'm coming out with both barrels at the beginning. Okay, don't worry. It gets more explanatory. But the Lord really says that this will happen within the kingdom of God, within the church. There will be those who are truly saved and those who are not. And we will not know who the weeds are among the wheat until the end of the age. It's interesting. I was, I was talking to Ruthie yesterday and I was asking her, hey, you know, how was restoration going? I think it was restoration we were referring to. And she said, um, it's great. And, and Arthur is teaching through uh, Matthew 13, through the parables. And she's all, well, I don't understand what some of them mean, even though Arthur's doing a great job of explaining, you know, this heavy stuff. But right there in the middle of Matthew 13 is, is the parable of the weeds and the wheat, you know? And that's exactly what we're talking about. If you were driving in today, how many of you passed this little wheat field on the corner? Anybody see it there? You ever happen to look at the wheat? Now, when you're going to leave today, you're going to look. You're going to look in and you're going to see wheat. And what are you going to see amongst the wheat? The weeds. They're enjoying that. They're all camouflaged in there. And this is what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 13. Let me read some verses for you first. Matthew 13, 24 through 30 says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, another reference to God's, God's rule, which is the church, kind of, so to speak. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came uh, and sowed weeds among, them, the, among the wheat. And then he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed, the heads and the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, don't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because you are pulling up the weeds. While you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. How many of you have, have planted your, your little garden and your, your lettuce is coming up? And what's coming up with the lettuce? Every unlettuce. Is coming up, is what's happening. <clears throat> and unlettuce is driving me crazy right now because you're looking at it and you want to yank it, but if you yank that root, which happens to be stronger at this point than the other one, what's going to happen? You're going to ruin your lettuce. It says, let both, verse 30 says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. And then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then a few verses later, Jesus explains what this means in Matthew 13, verse 36 through 42. Then he left the crowd and went into the, his house. His disciples came uh, to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. We don't, we, you know, I love that about the disciples. Jesus is teaching them and they're all, mm-hmm, yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, what, would, what did that really mean? <laughs> you guys ever had that in a meeting? Never mind. Uh, and he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. It's me. And the field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. And the weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy, enemy sows the, who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his, uh, of his kingdom everything that causes sin. And all who do evil, underline that, that verse in your thinking. He will weed out everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. 
and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus is one of many difficult parables. And so if this morning you, you hear these words and you realize that you've been a weed among the wheat, you're not really a part of the church. You go to church. You've been church in it. But you're not really part of the true church. The Lord has been gracious to you this morning. Amen? The Lord is calling you to turn from your sins and to turn towards God for forgiveness by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And He will regenerate you and make you new as you believe upon Him. So believe upon Jesus and you will be saved, you will be born again, and you will be one of the, those called out from the old life of sin and into new life by God's Spirit. So if you believe upon Jesus right now, you could be in church all your life and you could never, and you could never be saved. You believe Him right now. You will be changed and you will be added to His church. Amen. And that's the thing about the church is you can't join it by showing up. Isn't that crazy? You can't join it by showing up. You can't just start going to church and be a part of God's church. Isn't that weird? How many of you think you can? I've thought that. Anybody else? I'm going to church. I'm part of God's church. Well, maybe. Maybe. You can't, you can't just apply for membership and be a part of the kingdom of God. You can't take classes and get a certificate and, and be a part of the church. Now, you can come to our church, but are you a part of his church? Does that make sense? Obviously, I don't know everything that's going on. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. You can only be born into the church. You can only be born into it. How many of you chose to be born? No, I mean just regular born. Yeah. In other words, it's an act of God. God has to come in and, and awaken you to the fact that you need to be born into this kingdom. Amen? And when he does, we have the responsibility to respond. And as we respond, God's grace and our will meet, and we're born again. And so Jesus makes this clear in John chapter 3 when he's speaking to a religious leader. Again, I always refer to Nick at night. Here he is. He's my favorite guy. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. And this guy Nicodemus asks, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks, Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And again, he's thinking physical. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. We've all been born of the flesh. That's why we're in this room. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You're born by God of His Spirit into His kingdom. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again, Jesus said. So the church, the kingdom of God on earth, consists of people who have been born of God's Spirit by faith in Christ. They have been forgiven and given everlasting life. And so the church consists of those from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation. 
of those who have been called out of this world into God's kingdom by believing upon Jesus' death for their sin and his resurrection. And they have everlasting life. They're now a part of the church. The question is, are you a part of his church? Are you truly a part of his church or have you gone to church? Amen? If the answer is yes, then praise, praise the Lord. If not, repent and believe. Now that we know kind of what the church is a little bit, it's those who have been called out, people who have been ruled by a life of sin no longer, and they've been called out from that to God through faith in Christ. I want to go into some depth about who you are now as a part of that church. Something changed when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Something changed in your life when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you were saved. Something, a transaction happened. Your old life is gone. You were changed. You were rescued. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That word brought us, conveyed. He's, he's taken us from this dark place of evil, and he's conveyed us into the marvelous kingdom of his son, whom he loves. I love that. You were rescued. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So we were rescued. We were conveyed from that darkness and into the light, into the church. The truth is that you died when you were saved. You died. when you gave your life to Christ, when you decided to receive Jesus as your Savior, to follow Him, to obey Him, to surrender your life, you died. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives in me. Obviously, Paul's not talking about physical death here, but Paul was saying that when he was saved, his old life was gone. And it's as if he was united with Christ in that moment, in his death and in his resurrection. And actually, that's what the Bible teaches. A Christian is someone who is born into the kingdom, born into the church. You died with Christ to your old life. And as he rose, now you have new life. That's what baptism symbolizes. You were born into the kingdom of God and out of the life of sin, ruled by sin. You didn't die physically, but you died to your old way of life, which the Bible calls the flesh, the way of the flesh, the carnal life, the way the world flows. You died to that when you were born again. It happened. It's done. How many of you have given your lives to Jesus Christ? It's done. It happened. You died. Now, Paul spends a lot of time about reckoning it, so. But the pro that's the problem. The problem is that you and I probably have struggled with understanding that and, and living your new life in Christ because you've only known up until that point how to live the old life. Anyone else? Anybody struggle to live the Christian life? Anybody kind of, kind of clueless? Most of you got it. Wow, that's amazing. I'm going to come to you for counseling. Seriously. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and I still find myself clueless. 
So I don't know if that's comforting or scary. Anybody? But the point is, is that how we live in the old kingdom doesn't fit anymore. Arthur talked about it. It's like old clothes. It doesn't fit anymore. Any of you realizing the old life doesn't fit and the more you do it, the more miserable you are? Yeah, that's because you're new. You've got a new life, amen? You don't have to live that old life anymore. And by the way, the problem is we don't know how to live the new life. I think that's a huge issue in the church is that we don't know how to live this new life. It's like we're Lazarus. We get raised from the dead. We walk out of the tomb but we're still wearing the grave cloths. That's all. We're like walking around going, okay, what's going on here? How, is this it? Am I, okay, so I just walk around in these things forever. No one tells you to take off those old things. You got new clothes to put on and you've got new life. When you came to Christ, you were given God's spirit as a guarantee that you are his and God's Spirit is in your heart now. And when you were born again, you became sensitized to the things of God. How many of you have experienced that? You became sensitized to the things of God. If you haven't, I want to reverse engineer that with you. You need to go back and have a conversation with the Lord. Lord, am I saved? If you're living the same life that you did before you came to Christ, there is no difference. There is no proof. And Paul talks about this a lot. And that's how do you know the difference between the old? I, again, I'm not God. But I tell you what, his word is a fruit inspector. To, and, and he says, man, Paul talks about this in places. He says, man, inspect your life. See if you're in the faith. See if this is true. See if what he says matches up with what we do and who we are, right? When you were born again, you became sensitized to the things of God because Christ started living in you. Did you know that? How many of you, when you came to Christ, you just couldn't hang out with that person anymore? Where it was just right as rain one day. Anybody? And all of a sudden, you're just like, nah, your spirit is like, I cannot do that. Or, or you were engaging in an activity, and, and you, you just couldn't do it anymore. You realized within your heart, this doesn't fit anymore. It's grieving me, whatever it might be. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Christ now living in you, saying, this does not fit. This is not proper anymore. That's not who you are. That's old life stuff. But many of us are desensitized now because we never took those steps of obedience and we decided, okay, that's just how we live now. We live in this constantly failed state. No. May the Lord wake us up. May the Lord empower us to live after him again. May he resensitize us to those things that he would seek to rip off those old grave clothes, right? The Holy Spirit made you alive towards God. But like a newborn baby, you, you really can't comprehend what happened. How many of you can recall vividly the first day you were born? <clears throat> Understood the prophecies and everything that was going on. I hope not. I think the Lord blesses us with not knowing. <clears throat> But everything's new when you come to Christ. You, you can't explain what happened inside you with great clarity. You know, you, you, you don't know what to do or how to live. You're just simply compelled to because you're new, amen? You have godly hungers and godly thirsts within you. God puts those within us. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. And this is where the scriptures begin to teach us who we are now that we are in Christ. 
our new identity in Christ, in His church, in how to live it out in the context of His kingdom within the church. Listen, you were pulled out of the world and you were put into His church. That is the context of your new life. That is your new life, is His church. Do you know that? That's, that's it. He didn't just die and yank you out so you could continue on with your plan. It's about His plan, amen? It's about His kingdom, and His kingdom involves His people grabbing more people to come into His kingdom by grace. That's what our lives are about now. How many of you can say, my life is about His kingdom, His church? Wow. Scary. How many of you going, no, my life is about Amazon Prime or whatever it might be, you know what I mean? I live for this. God has real life for you. And to get insight into this new life, into this new identity of who you are, Paul, uh, the apostle in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, he tells us what happens when we were born again. When we were born into his church, into his body, into his kingdom, Paul describes for us everything that God did for us and who we are now as eternal members of his church. And I want to spend the remainder of our time helping us understand and reminding us what identifies us as members of that church. We know what the church is. We're called out ones. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What, what happened to me when I was saved? Who am I now? Not who you think you are, but who he says you are, because that's truly who you are. Because he made you, he bought you, he formed you, you died, you were resurrected with him. You're all wrapped up in him now, amen? And I think this is so important about the, what marks a true church. Because who you believe, who you believe you are, is going to determine what you do. Who you are leads to what you do. And, and Christ gave you a new identity, and He bought you. And you, you need to know who Christ says you are, because He is calling you as a member of His church to a life that reflects His glory. You were created for it. You were redeemed for it. You were made for it. Now, I don't want you to think that means that we're in the building. How many of you immediately go, okay, I've just got to be the building? Remember, we already talked, this is not about the building. It's about the people of God and the plan of God. Amen? And of course, where the people meet, that's where things happen. But this is about his plan. Where does he have you? Where are you in life? What kind of people has he put you in the middle of? all the places that he would use you for his glory. Difficult, hard circumstances, by the way, not always light, fluffy. How many of you got light, fluffy circumstances going on right now? How many of you got hardcore circumstances going on, hard-pressed? God wants to put Christians in the middle of those circumstances so the world can see God, not the world. But as I've been pastoring, I've come to the realization that we really do not know who we are in Christ, as I've mentioned, what our part is and what he is calling us to do. Does anybody really have that going on? I think we do. 
You love Jesus, but you don't understand who you are in him. You don't understand what you're supposed to do. You don't understand what we're supposed to do. Anybody have that going on? Honestly, just five of you. The rest of you are dismissed. No, we all do. How many of you have been involved, involved in over-organized sports? <clears throat> Anybody? Yeah, that's what I like to call it. When I was a kid, I decided I wanted to play baseball. I was young, you know, and there's a process that I was kind of really not familiar with. I just know I wanted to play baseball. So you had to sign up. You had to pay some fees. Your parents paid your fees. And you quickly found out that you needed a glove. And you, so you bought a glove, and, and you had certain types of cleats, and, and you needed a spider, whatever that is, and stirrups. And I had old school stirrups, the kind that really didn't, they stirred up trouble. And they're like the little, the, you know, like the little thing on baseball players, the little line that goes up the side. Like those used to be independent of the sock. Whoever created the sock with the stirrup put in them is a genius. He probably came from my generation because they never stayed on and you're always pulling up. It was ridiculous. But you went out and, and you, you realized you had to get a bunch of stuff. And then you went to tryouts, which was a, which was a nerve-wracking mess. And you waited for a few weeks while all the coaches cherry-picked all the great players, and then you got the call that you were on the worst team with the, with the worst name. And then you met for that first practice. Amen? And you see, I, I had some coaches that lived on my block, and it was just, I saw the inside politics. It was fun. But then you see all the other guys on the team, you know, and, and you know some of them and some of you don't, and you're all hanging out together, and you're kind of sizing each other up. And then you meet for that, you know, that first practice. Now, if at that point the coach says, now go play baseball, that would be silly. Some of the people would know exactly what to do, but there's a lot of people who have no clue, no skills, especially in the younger things. You know, it, what a mess that would have been. First of all, every year there's a few people who really don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they're going to be sentenced to right field on the bench. They don't even know, they wouldn't even know how to get there, Right? I mean, you, you just tell them, go play right field. They're like, what's that? They run the bases backwards. They don't know what they're doing. And so a good coach, he's going to start explaining the basics, right, what the, what the team name was, first of all. You know, we're, you know, I remember being named after, like, some masonry company or something. It was horrible. We called the Blockheads, I guess. That's what they call us. <clears throat> but anyways, yeah, it was back when you could do that. And, and what, when you begin to be practicing and when the first game would be, all these things are explained on, on day one, you know, or over that first phone call. And then you would have the kids play catch, right? And, and we'd get together, we'd play catch, and you find out who had the strong arm with no control and who had control with no strong arm and who had nothing, you know? And then you just watch these kids play catch, and then you realize that some kids, they, they had their fingers in the wrong part of the glove, and you had to show them how that worked. And, and, and from there, they exposed us to different aspects of the game. They exposed us to throwing and catching and hitting and fly balls and all those things. And through, that pro- practice, through the practices, uh, the coaches were finding out, they were finding out our skills and determining who fit where and who needed to be developed in certain areas so that we could know who we were in relationship to each other, learn our positions, and understand how we play together as a team so that we can go out and achieve the goal of playing our best to our best ability, both individually and as a team, together in all types of adversity, and that we would go win that trophy and have the pizza party. Amen. 
The analogy is that when God saved you, you became a part of his team. You became part of his church, and God has designed a purpose for that team. And it is not about a little trophy in a pizza party. It's a bigger trophy in a pizza party. And, he, and, and he's designed that team to function in a specific way. And unless everybody on that team knows what they're doing and knows the meaning and the purpose of behind what they're doing, it's going to fall apart. And God is not glorified when that happens. But God has given people to equip us to do that. He's given us his word, his Holy Spirit. He's, he's given us this amazing body of believers right here that we would begin to dig in and say, God, what have you called us to as a little microcosm of your big body here in Walla Walla in, in the world? And how do we work together, each one of us coming together, figuring out what God has made us for, learning, knowing who we are, learning our positions, and then going and executing that to the best of, of God's uh, empowering in our bodies and going and bringing glory to God. That's what you've been bought for. You've been designed for that. You've been pulled out of that world. And if that sounds boring to you, get on your knees and cry out to God because you need a heart change. I need a heart change. I'm talking to myself, Amen because this is what it's all about. His kingdom, his glory. How many of us came to Christ and now it's like, go, go play baseball. Go be a Christian. How many of you feel like that? And we don't know who's on the team. We don't know when we practice, if we should practice. We, we don't need that we need a glove, let alone what position it is and how to play it and, and how to play together to glorify God. And I think this is so important. So you can see what is so critical, why it's so critical that we not only know what the church is, but also who you are in it. What your God-ordained role is and how we glorify God together, not only as Christ Community Fellowship, but as a local church among many churches in the valley, let alone the global church from every tribe, tongue, and nation whose purpose together is to bring glory to God. It's crucial that you first understand who you are in Christ. And if I start to go into this, we're not going to have enough time. So I want you to contemplate that. I would like you to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 through home, for homework. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And I would like you to go through there, and I would like you to under, underline your new identity in Christ. How many of you heard what I said? Okay, this is not optional reading. This is like a pastor saying, I want you to do this, church, okay? <laughs> I hardly ever do that. This is important for you. Every single one of you, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And I want you to go through there and underline the seven or eight things, and some of them are kind of hidden, that God has blessed you with. This is your new identity in Christ Jesus. And when you know who you are, then you begin to know what your position is. You begin to know how to play the game. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what your position is, you're going to have no clue how to play the game. And it's not a game, it's life. 
It's life and death. It's eternal life and it's eternal rewards. And at that day, when you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I want every person who calls themselves part of the Lord's little flock here at Christ Community Fellowship to stand before him and say, I know who I was. I know what you called me to. And I left it all on the floor for you, Lord. I love you. I loved your people. I loved your kingdom. I loved your cause. As you lived, I lived. As you gave, I gave. As, as you bled, I bled. All for your glory. All for your honor. All for your name. All glory to you, Lord Jesus. And we take that little trophy that we're getting, we're going to throw it at his feet. And all hail King Jesus. Amen? Are you in? Are you in? All right. Lord God, we come before you and we want to thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, who is king of kings and Lord of lords, who is in charge of the whole universe, whom you gave as head over the church. And Lord, as we begin to explore who we are in you, I pray that you would put it so deep within our hearts that we would walk away knowing who we are in you so that we know then what to do about it. So God, may you bless us as we move forward. In the name of Jesus, amen.